We have Alota with us. I guess he wears a lot of hats. It's very difficult to really give an introduction to him. But once he really described himself as the child of the mother, and that's the best definition that he feels for himself. And I feel that's really the best definition for Alokda. So welcome, Alokda, and over to you now. Okay, namaste, everyone. It's a, a wonderful thing to meet on uh, through the digital medium. Hopefully, one day we'll all uh, meet through the inner mediums. <laughs> so, it's a question-answer session. So, why don't we start right away? And uh, the range can be anything. Uh, anything about anything. Because uh, Integral Yoga connects with the entire universe. Um, entire creation in every which way. We have to uh, reorient ourselves. Reprogram ourselves in a diviner way, reconnect with ourselves and with the creation in a new way. So, welcome to ask any questions or welcome to share anything, anything, you know. Yes, please. Uh, namaskar. So, I have been uh, following your YouTube for uh, like um, maybe more than one and a half years. Okay. I've been going through a lot of your lectures so far, so thank you very much and it's a great pleasure meeting you in person, <laughs> even though it's a digital media, but it's a live interaction. Uh, one of the things which is, which is not concerned with my practice, but something which has been always uh, coming into my anger or, the, or in my uh, beingness, that the anger which I get... Uh, when I see that the our own religion, Hinduism, which has been, which in India is treated like a second-hand citizen, and the way uh, we have never been like from the days of Gandhi, we have never been able to assert ourselves. And whenever we try asserting ourselves, we are labeled as fanatics. Uh, this deeply hurts me because when I read Sri Arbindo, Madhar and everything, it's really sad the way we are going through. And I sometimes feel very deeply hurt also because of this. So I just wanted to share this with you and uh, hear your perspective on this thing. Because this is, why is that these things are happening to us? So the question is about, you know, the anger one feels when one sees that uh, uh, the Hindus or the Hindu religion is treated as a second-hand thing uh, in the very country of its origin, right? Uh, yes. So, we can uh, take it up as one is the why of it and second is what we can do about it. If at all something we need to do about it. So, you know, when Shurabindu came out of uh, Uttarpada, um, this was May, 6th May. And on 31st May, he gave a talk, 26th May in fact. He gave a talk which was given in the Society for Protection of Hindu Religion. So, it's very interesting, you know, we are talking about it in May itself. And there he spoke about his experiences in the jail and what Sanatan Dharma is. And there he gives us a very interesting, uh, you know, guideline about the whole thing. I think um, uh, the first thing which is necessary and uh, the first and foremost is that while we do have an understanding of uh, Hindu Dharma, um, maybe, you know, little bit scriptures, little bit of practice, little bit of way of life, a little bit of customs and culture, the time has come that we should live it in our life. And I think that's where the lacuna lies, first of all, with us. So we need to reawaken, Shobindo puts it very beautifully, the Aryan thought. And then he says that we must live it in our life. We must recover the Vedas, recover the Upanishads, recover the Gita in our everyday life. So this is the strength See, when we look at, when I look back at, uh, you know, our times, uh, past wonderful times, uh, way back, with the age of the Rishis, and it's absolutely astounding that how did they have that kind of knowledge and the power to counteract a thousand, uh, you know, enemies and, you know, then also there were many haters of Sanatan Dharma, Sanatan way of life. If we look at the Ramayana, we had, you know, um, the entire, uh, you know, Dandakaranya 
right down to Ravana's uh, place and of course uh, uh, far eastern side. There were so many Rakshasas and Asuras uh, which now of course have taken human forms. <laughs> I suppose they were still there. So I look at it uh, in a deeper perspective that it's not just about Hindu religion and uh, Uh, you know, those who hate Hindu religion. But I look at it as a fight between a way of life which can save this world, which can give so much to the world, so much uh, harmony, so much beauty, so much light and there is the resistance to it. Now, it takes this form. The form is that, you know, Hindu dharma and uh, vis-a-vis. So, we have to broaden the scope. We must bring out forcefully what really is meant by the Hindu way of life, the Sanatan dharma. And against it, all that stands opposed, which is actually not opposed just to a dharma as it is understood in the Western context as a religion, but opposed to a way of life. So when we put it like this, that well, when you oppose Sanatan dharma, what are you really opposing? You are opposing the idea that the world is one family. Now, do people really want to oppose it? Now, that's where we need to bear or expose that this is a an approach which is so universal. It includes science, it includes secular thought, it includes the diverse religious thoughts, it includes respect and dignity and love for the whole creation and not just mankind. So when we begin to live it and we have that strength and we put across what truly Sanatan Dharma is not about, you know, a, a, a one approach or one kind of custom or culture, but diverse strands of life. And this is what I think is now happening. People are more and more uh, reverting back to uh, not Hindu, but the word Sanatan. I have seen on certain forums and discussions and we should change it in that direction that look there is a way of life doesn't matter you want to call it Sanatan Hindu doesn't matter there is a way of life which is universal and when it is said that you know it is about the divine presence even that is something which is not limited to one form or aspect so this is one way of life which is uh, offered by Sanatan Dharma whose custodian today is India always has been India and the Hindu Dharma as we understand today on the other hand are forces which oppose it and let people, there will always be people who will choose to resist it because you know the uh, dark resistance of unconsciousness and falsehood is very prominent. It's extremely prominent because it's like a last ditch battle. I look at it like that. I mean if Sanatan Dharma really um, comes out with all its force, it means the end of all the forces which are forces of division and uh, you know um, progress and evolution Uh, I think this must be brought out. But anger, hatred against those who are doing it will not be the best response. We need to defend, talk about it, but without, because then we will be actually deviating from the inner truth of our own being. Someone recently asked me a question, how can you fight without hatred and anger? Well, some of the greatest battles are fought without hatred and anger. When we fight for an ideal, when we fight for dharma, dharma in the highest sense of the word, when we fight for just self-defense, all these are fights which take place without bringing in anger and hatred. So this is the little inner surgery we have to do. And yes, uh, Sanatan Dharma is important. It's important not because we believe in it or because a group of people believe in it. Because it's a way of life which uh, alone can really save mankind, the future of mankind. So we need to bring it out forcefully. But as I said, most importantly, we must live it. It's very important to live that life. Which means to bring in equanimity, to, to have the sense of the divine presence in all creation. And I must add, you know, including that which we regard as adverse. There is a very interesting uh, experience of Mother where she speaks about seeing the divine presence even in the core of the darkest of beings. Now, it's not easy, but if you look at the Gita, that's what it is about. Krishna is in everyone and yet the battle has to be fought. This little change inside, it's very important. Otherwise, we go down to that level. That there is a Muslim and there is a Hindu. There is a Christian, there is a Hindu. Now, we understand, I mean, I understand that there are people who have become absolutely intolerant of anything which is beautiful and true and yes, it is there. But instead of we going to their level, we uplift them with strength. We give them the option, look, there is something so beautiful. You want to take it, take it. Otherwise, 
it's up to each one thank you yes any anyone else anything um rahul is asking in the chat alokta in the recording of your last year's swadhyaya video where you were speaking about concentration explaining it with an analogy of hammering the consciousness you explained that there are three methods to do it the first using mantras sound the second using light aspiration like a burning candle you said that there are the three methods which is the third method i didn't get it maybe i'm missing something here uh well i won't remember what i said but i can tell you about the methods nevertheless <laughs> because i don't uh, you know prepare anything so now uh, well but basically you are right i would rather reduce it to two forms in which uh, concentration is practiced one is with a form and the other is with formless it's known in all yogas uh one is called as a savikalp method of concentration which leads to savikalp samadhi from which one can pass into the nirvikalp the second one is formless without a form so with the form we can use either the image or we can use the mantra the sound and sight you know these are the two faculties um we can use a imagination imagine um the the flame inside or a beautiful flower inside whatever to us gives the sense of the divine presence uh, for me like for example for many of us perhaps is the mother's uh, picture now for others it may be something else so whatever gives you the sense of the divine presence within or in the universe the second is through the sound so that's where you have two kinds of mantras the uh, universal mantras which don't really need a master say the pranav mantra om or certain mantras given by shurbindo the gayatri mantra they don't really need a master but the inner being must accept it which means the mantra should spring spontaneously from within us or we should when when we read it it spontaneously connects within so these are the two methods or simply calling mother's name ma 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 and that becomes our own access to the divine presence but there is another way we can do it and that is through the idea now this idea is for instance we pick up an idea now we don't give it any form but the idea that there is the divine presence in all the isha upanishad speaks about it you know those two famous verses yasmin sarvani bhutani the divine is in all beings all beings are in the divine and the divine is the all now you know we can meditate upon this idea we can focus on this idea after a while the idea releases its truth and that is another way of doing it so there is the way of form through sight and sound to make it little more uh, you know simpler and there is the way of the formless where we pick up an idea and we meditate upon it uh, hold it within the head or in the heart and eventually the idea lets off its reality of course to start with we may start with the conception when we use the word that there is the divine in all beings some people like to use an image but it's better not done without an image because the image will condition our mind and then the presence will reveal itself in its own way so we have with the form we have without the form and eventually we go to the truth which is beyond the form and the formless and the truth is in the ground of experience which uh, comes and goes comes and goes suddenly one day we may feel flooded with the sense of the divine in everything and everywhere it brings peace and delight then after a while it fades away because the old consciousness comes this back and forth takes place till one day we are bathed in that rooted in that established in that and that's what is called as a realization does that answer the question rahul i think the idea was missing yes yeah hello the saurabh here yes so one question um, so we were watching uh, the last year's recordings and uh, you mentioned that one part like uh, the shorter path to aspiration is through heart so can you uh, explain this a bit more like yes so you see where is all the dynamism of a human being where does it come from now if we look at it we when we do a work only with the head you know there are different reasons why people do a work 
they will do it because of commercial interest, which we may say that it's coming from the vital areas where there is money and other motives. Or they may do it for the sake of, you know, intellectual uh, stimulation, which is a lot better. But when do we really get fully into whatever we are doing when it's an act of love? You see, when the heart is in it. So heart is the seat of all dynamism. While this dynamism can branch itself and give its energy to either the other parts of the vital, it may change into a lesser form of energy, more intense but not so so you know intensely lasting, which we call as passion, which exhausts itself, or it may climb up and uh, take the shape of thoughts, mental energy. But the real push comes from the heart. So that's how the mother puts it: the heart has wings. Second, if we look at it very intuitively, when we speak about the seat of the self, let's leave the books aside. If we ask, you know, where are we located? Let's put a question. Spontaneously, you know, we, we touch the heart. We don't say here or here. Wherever we may draw our energies from, but we are located here. You know, and it comes in various phrases, the heart being in the right place. Um, so basically... Heart is the seat, even biologically, incidentally. It's the center, the electrically neutral place. That's how the ECG is recorded. So this is the center, both physiological and the psychological center. So if we connect it through the heart, it becomes a lot more easier. But normally when we enter the heart, just like when we do it through the head, the first thing we encounter is a spate of uh, thoughts which are whirling in the head. Normally we are not aware of it because we are all the time busy with something or the other. But the moment we try to concentrate in the head or through the head, we see a swarm of thought which is always there, but we didn't notice it. Similarly, when we enter the heart, we may experience a lot of confusion arising from passions, emotions, surface heart as it is called. And we must persist in going deeper within. But this is a easier and a shorter path. For the aspiration. So, but for many people, it doesn't come naturally, I must say, because uh, we have become a very mind centered civilization. We have diminished the energies of the heart. I remember myself like long back when I used to, uh, in the college, just practice some meditation. It used to be from the head. It came naturally that you have to, you know, concentrate means in the eyebrows. So it used to happen in the eyebrows, uh, in the center of the head. But now it comes much later, it started very naturally in the heart. So heart is the seat of aspiration, of dynamism, of progress. It is the seat of the self. And that's where we, if we focus, it becomes much easier and much shorter. So this is not that if it comes naturally to the head, it's okay. Or above the head, it's, it's all right. But it's good to try and practice concentration here also. Till one day very naturally it will begin to come here. Yeah, this concentration is not about the path of love. But when we turn to the heart very naturally, bhakti and faith develops within us. That is something, another aspect of it. And that opens the gates. Uh, if there is a shortcut to yoga, yoga made easy. It is through love and faith. I mean, love, faith, surrender as Shurabindu puts it. And it is, it is very, very true. But that key, you know, that, that has to open. And also that psychic bhakti is very different from the emotional bhakti. Emotional bhakti has a lot of demands and, you know, it wants and gives, you know, those viraha and milan of the medieval saint sometimes. But the psychic being just gives itself. Its bhakti is very deep, very focused. It just loves to give. And giving is the only act it knows. Giving to the divine giving to the divine presence, it leans naturally towards beauty and truth and good. So the beauty of this uh, concentration in the heart is that we touch that uh, spot within us, that bedrock, uh, that flame within, which knows the divine intuitively. If we go through the mind, the problem is that uh, after a while, uh, let's say we concentrate on an image or an idea or a mantra, the mind ascends and enters in state of impersonality. So that's why many people who take the root of the mind, they enter into the impersonal uh, Brahman as it is called, Akshar Brahman. And they feel it is perfect because it's a stillness. It's a wonderful state to be in. But when we go through the heart, then we find the divine presence and stillness and everything else. 
because wherever there is the divine there is the stillness and all else comes with it so concentration is the heart is the more desirable thing in this yoga and many other yogis have also spoken about it it's the seat of the self salute in terms of practice like theoretically understood what you said but in terms of practice uh maybe like uh, if you can share some experience like which you did like which helped you in uh, shifting from mind to the heart yeah. so in terms of practice of concentration in the heart see with me it came all very naturally spontaneously uh, my only practice was to love the mother which also happened by the grace so i don't know i am very wary of you know talking about the practice because uh, honestly if you ask me in one word to summarize how everything happens how it all happened then i would use the word grace and uh, why the grace came uh, so i can only share a small little experience which i have shared otherwise on public platforms otherwise normally we don't long long back so um, i had the uh, grace again of darshan of shri bindu and i asked him why there is so much grace uh, of course i used the word grace on me now i find it very absurd because i see the grace is with all but that time in my stupidity i asked that you know why so much grace on me and he simply said do not question grace receive it so if you ask me very personally it's ultimately at the end you realize it's grace that makes us do the effort but what do we do for the grace my path was the path of service to serve the divine and one day that not opened why it happened suddenly the shift took place i have several times tried to remember honestly when did the shift take place exactly but i don't remember but it's of course uh, more than couple of decades that the shift took place from the head to the heart uh, but in terms of practice if you ask me what i do uh, what i did after that uh, that i can tell you is to concentrate in the heart in the center of the chest not anatomically i have never tried to really some people define that exactly this spot that spot no just the divine presence so for me it used to be the mother is present in my heart and i want to concentrate on her so um, you go through the usual difficulties it's difficult to concentrate uh, but uh, sit at a particular time uh, maybe 20 minutes in the morning 20 minutes in the afternoon 20 minutes at night don't sit for too long at one stretch because uh, for various reasons if the meditation is not spontaneous then either one falls into a torpor tamas or uh, you know it becomes a we start uh, enjoying some kind of a nice sleep and come out thinking it's a wonderful experience so uh, sit for 20 minutes uh, maximum 30 uh, minimum 10 let's put it like that 20 minutes on an average three times a day at your own convenient time no need to take a bath and be ready with nice the divine cares to hoots about all that he <laughs> where the perfume of faith it's important you know the one whom we are seeking is seeking us much more actively let me tell you this i can share now it's well known but for sure he is seeking us much more actively than we do so with that trust sit Uh, doesn't matter it may be cross legged it may be on a stool all these externalities are only so that we are not restlessly concentrated upon the body okay so concentrate in the heart very naturally the concentration will go there on the mother's presence preferably with with her name or a particular mantra initially it'll take some time it 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 depends a month two months maybe whatever be the time one does that and a time comes when a door opens and we enter we start feeling a lot more peaceful inside when we come out don't stop there go deeper go deeper with this urge that no i must find and unite with the divine presence don't stop at any halfway homes of the spirit okay but this activity has to be complemented with what we do the rest of the 23 hours see it's that's where the missing goes on so the one of the simplest practice and i feel one of the best practices to do uh, practice nishkam karma equanimity and call peace whenever there is disturbance uh, practice stepping back whenever we are caught in arguments and animated discussions anger stepping back and say this not me 
and equanimity is a fundamental practice on yoga so things which are pleasant things which are sometimes the ac may not be working sometimes it may be too cold and we have no access to the remote you know uh, sometimes we are hungry and there is no food available various things at the physical level at the psychological level somebody who is close to us is contradicting our opinions somebody is hurting us whom we love and cherish very much these are the practices that's where the practice goes on so if we practice nishkam karma we may you know uh, do something for someone with deep love and nothing may come back excellent god's grace if something came back we might have been hooked and tied now we can truly love the divine presence in that person but more importantly we'll come in contact with the principle of divine love and begin, that love will begin to blossom in our heart whether the person changes or not it's irrelevant so all these practices which are interwoven in the fabric of our everyday life are far more important uh, and they can be you know very simple like you know one is going to a place even on seminars and conferences uh, one is expecting something if not uh, you know um, uh, physical gains then psychological name fame these are big traps traps the ego <laughs> snare of the ego uh, you are an instrument you are a channel forget everything just remember the divine spend all this energy in remembering the divine nothing somebody will criticize you somebody will praise you if somebody praises sometime we say outwardly no no it's mother but inwardly feeling puffed up <laughs> catch that little thing as soon as it raises the head and give it to mother say mother take it this is the worm in the fruit this not what i want to be it happens when people return back sometime when people criticize suddenly there is a shrinking oh really that's the time take it up and give it to mother this equanimity is very very important shurbindo has if there is a area of practice shurbindo has invested maximum Uh, number of lines <clears throat> you see the synthesis of yoga and everywhere else it is on equanimity okay and uh, the mother her very first conversation 1951 or 50 starts with to to choose without preference and execute without desire <coughs> otherwise what happens we get caught up in the result and uh, then when we sit we are tied we can't go inside must have noticed when we are sitting and meditating all those issues come up x said this and y said that and you know we can't go within because we are tied to the surfaces of nature and one of the ways we are tied is through fruits of our actions that's why even sadhana for experiences for something i may get out of it all this will bind us we won't get the utter freedom of the infinity of the divine everything even wanting to have an experience wanting to you know be a yogi all this nothing just the earth should be to give oneself to the divine more and more that should be the only focus in growth of sincerity sincerity of aspiration this i'm sharing you what the path i've taken somebody else may take another path is perfectly valid <laughs> but i have found it wonderful as the gita puts it that there is a difficult path of the tapasvi pantha duratya i haven't taken that path so i don't know about it but there is the easier path you know i believe in you know taking a easy path not complicating things so we have to put a personal effort you know even that giving doesn't come easily i have seen people who find surrender very difficult i don't know why but it's like a loss of individuality so we live under the illusion of uh, effort i must do tapasya i must do sadhana i must sit like this do like this it's all right if that is our faith i suppose but uh, another is that i just want to give myself to the divine any which way when you are breathing walking sitting lying eating that's what i have understood from mother's writings and tried to put into practice with excellent results so that i can tell you <laughs> okay thanks sir it's a joy to belong to the divine
and to the divine alone. It doesn't mean cutting off from everybody else. Everybody is there. But it's like the whole world is there. But its relevance and significance and the reason why we connect with everything else is because of the divine. Not for any personal self-interest or egoistic uh, attachment. That's, that's where we have to change. Tweaking a little inside. Yes, some other question. Yeah. Yes, Palak. Uh, so I have two questions, Alokda. So one, uh, like you were mentioning that, you know, a complete uh, giving. So uh, like just help me understand that even in that aspiration, uh, isn't there a sense of expectation that, you know, I'm mm. able to aspire completely or I'm able to surrender completely. So even that inherently, at least to me or that bhakti or that faith, it, it comes with a sense of expectation that, I, I pray that, you know, I'm able to do that completely. So, can you just... So, this self-giving with expectation is, of course, because our nature till as long as it is not yet perfected, the same uh, the same nature which we with which we deal with our everyday life, uh, you know, ordinarily, we carry it to the divine. So, you know, all this is bound to be there in the beginning. But if we know that this is something which must drop off at some point of time, then we will put our effort in that direction. So every time this expectation surges, sometime the expe- see, there is one thing like uh, expectation of an experience is a different thing. But aspiration, something like, I want to meet you, I want to be one with you. Now that's not really expectation. That's aspiration. Where does expectation come in? Where one is we put a mathematical, uh, you know, uh, thing on God that I have meditated today, I have done my bit, where is the experience? There is nothing, this is one way. Uh, Or I have meditated for two months, uh, you know, I still can't make a headway. So that's where expectation comes in. Second, when there is impatience. So impatience means desire had got mixed in. It will happen. In the beginning, these two will get mixed, aspiration and desire. So we have to be like the gold sieve. So keep the aspiration, discard the desire and then what will happen, there is a joy one experiences naturally when one has given uh, in a gesture of self-giving that well, nothing else I want of you except the joy of giving. Now that joy will come automatically. After a while this becomes a way of life. Then everything else follows. But the beauty is that we can't do it with that idea that, oh, everything else will follow, so let me start it from here. One day it will come. No. Though everything else comes, that's the paradox or the amazing part of it. There are a number of letters of Shirobindo, uh, you know, that uh, uh, the divine gives himself to those who give themselves entirely to the divine. And then he says, for them, the light, the joy, the peace, the supreme ananda. So self-giving is the shortest path. But if we do it uh, mechanically as a path, it doesn't. It's like falling in love. Now, you know, someone may say that, you know, it's very good if if that person, you fall in love. But we can't fall in love with that idea. It's too much of a mind coming in. So pray to the divine to give bhakti, to give faith. See, long back, uh, um, I'd read all these scriptures. So one of the things which had intrigued me, is when I, when I had read, I don't know whether it actually took place this way or not, but I had read the story of Bhakta Dhruv. It comes in Vishnu Puran. So when he has the vision of Lord Vishnu, he says, give me uh, the word stuck to my head, avichal akhand bhakti in you. So I wondered why is he asking for bhakti? He already has bhakti. That's how he has the vision of the divine. Why is he asking for avichal akhand bhakti? But over a period of time, I understood that the only thing worth asking for, you know, we should ask for it. What I am saying is that we can aspire for bhakti, uh, true bhakti. We can aspire that may I give myself more and more. While we have to do the self-giving, but the aspiration for equipping us in such a way that we can give ourselves more and more to the Lord is a valid aspiration. We can aspire for faith which is untainted with any ambition or egoistic desires. Okay, so we should aspire and ask for these things. 
and then the divine gifts is so strange he gives us what is needed for us to give back to him see if you look at it why this is the shorter path there is a logic to it what is the first act of the divine with which creation started giving himself there would be no creation unless you know he emerged and became creation it is inbuilt in creation so it is the shortest way afterwards you see all these planes of consciousness came into existence if you read the mother's story and you know uh, every other she speaks about the story of creation now the this is the first act when creation proper begins before that of course four emanations came and they plunged into inconscience i'm sure everybody knows this story but when does the whole thing start when there is the act of self giving that love with which the divine gave himself to creation that's why the the word sacrifice is literally that it's not about uh, giving something outwardly as it is giving inwardly and by that process it undergoes a purification and sanctification by the divine touch and there is always something to give our everyday activities this session it's beginning it's end it's middle the food we eat everything there is always something to give okay so ask for that ability to give oneself more and more ask for that bhakti so i have one more question yes if somebody else yeah uh, so um, i'm sorry for this question i think i have a, because of that limited understanding i have a lot of like it doesn't matter doesn't matter questions are always good yeah so um, i just want to understand that as part of integral yoga which actually uh, like you know as i understand it encompasses every everything so that is my limited understanding yes. so how does rejection so out of the aspiration surrender and rejection wonderful figure, question where does rejection figure in in an integral yoga where it is all inclusive what do we really reject let's put it like that that there is a true divine nature in all of us with which we are meant to relate with this entire creation all its multiplicity its cosmicity its many sidedness be it human relationship be it trees and plants and vegetables and flowers and beast and bird it is a way that's why it is called as the law of truth okay so what are we really rejecting none of this what are we really rejecting the distortions that came in the way what are we really rejecting at the end of the day is something which is coming in the way of my true relationship with creation let's take a simple example do we reject husband wife friend child no we don't do that but how do we normally relate egoistically my child will when it grows up it will look after me budhape ka sahara and all that stuff you know emotional sentimental stuff uh, how annoying for the child and how disabling uh, disabling for the uh, for the you know uh, parents you know they become so dependent but take another example that this child has come to me for a certain experience i am the trustee i must give all the love and care which i should give to anyone who comes in close contact with me but without bringing in that element of lust ambition self demand self will what i'll get this little surgery so what we have to discard is the evolutionary by products or waste waste it's not a waste it's it was necessary at a point of time but uh, the evolutionary effluents which have come in and stick to our true nature and distort the straight response of truth so nothing has to be rejected outwardly if you read now we want truth now what comes in the way our fixed opinions dogmas narrow one sided philosophies now if we keep it we can keep it but we won't get the fullness of truth so we are not rejecting truth we are not rejecting knowledge we think that by a one sided opinion we are arriving at knowledge but the more extreme and one sided a viewpoint is the more i am deviating from knowledge this is just common sense isn't it that's how fanaticism comes into play now what do i do for the true knowledge i have to discard these reject this mind's insistence on one sided viewpoints extreme viewpoints opinions then truth will find room in a 
wide and plastic and supple mind. That's how Shivabindu puts it because it will become wide enough to receive that knowledge. Okay. Similarly with the passions. Now that is something, uh, oh, if there is, uh, you know, this calm, crowd and all that. Unfortunately, they actually weaken the passions. You know, anger comes when the vital is weak. A strong vital is very, very capable of a tremendous action. Shubindu writes at one place that a yogin, uh, his action can be like the volcano and the tempest, like the swift lightning. Why? Because anger is out. Now, when anger is out, the action is very powerful. Look at Shurabindo. Look at ancient times, Sage Vyas. Look at Swami Vivekananda. What a tremendous, powerful action. Uh, I mean, living Swami Vivekananda for 39 years. Sri Ramakrishna Paramahansa, 58 years. Shurabindo, 78 years. What they have left is for generations to follow. How did this powerful action come in? Now, we have to move along those lines. Anger and you know this bubbling of opinions, it, it takes, away from, uh, takes me away from that truth. So while I am not rejecting any of the fundamental things, and there also we have to understand that these things have their place in the evolutionary process. Now they are sticking on past their valid, uh, you know, like at an animal level, there, are, there is fear, there is rage. These are the two responses of let's say, snake. Now, when this fear and rage continues in a dog, where emotions have begun to develop, it becomes an obstacle. A dog may end up biting its master unwittingly and feel very emotionally sad about it. I know of dogs who have gone into depression because of that. Because emotions are developing. But dog doesn't practice conscious yoga. Now, with human beings, we can actually experience a deeper love. But now this uh, sentimental, what we call as love, sentimentality, uh, anger and all this, uh, you know, uh, jealousies, even animals experience jealousies. Uh, now that is coming in the way of experiencing something much higher and truer. So we have to discard that past uh, consciousness which had its own utility, its own place. So we are not going to proselytize that everybody should be like this. There are Beings at a certain level, they need opinions, they need to debate, discuss. It's perfectly fine. But we must know the direction in which we should move. Okay? So this rejection is only about, it's not about love. But last, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, psychologically, you know, one day somebody was uh, asking me about things like pornography. Now, people speak about morally bad or good. But one thing I can tell, which I tell youngsters, if you indulge in pornography, you, you will forget one day how to love. As simple as that. All the energy of love is gravitating towards pleasure. Now, that's not what love is about. So, we are conditioning the mind, or rather, you know, people will tell, they are conditioning their mind to uh, calling it love and uh, thinking this is love. So, what's happening? It's going down the ladder. So, you cannot really love. Whereas, if you conserve this energy, you are leading to its purer and purer forms. It's nothing to do with morality. Okay, it's about purifying and upgrading our system, software, <laughs> from the animal to the human to the divine. So we have to discard what is coming in the way, that's all. When you discard the old computer system, uh, you know, in NASA they still have the first Apollo, they have whole room full of huge computers. Now all that is on laptop. So have we discarded the computer? No, we have discarded the old version. You can't, uh, you know, you did no need. So you have the new version, which is uh, so handy, available, freer from the viruses. That's all we are doing. We are upgrading. Rejection should be seen as that. And there also we need to uh, do it by offering to the mother. That's how the mother puts it. She says, bear your, take your own burden of the anti-divine. So it doesn't happen easily. Forces of lust and anger and greed are tenaciously sticking to human nature because there is millenniums and trillenniums behind it. So they won't happen in a day. That's why the path is long. So if we think by our own will, we can do it. See, this is the other problem with rejection. Then one fails. Then one has guilt. Then one tries. Then one has fails. Then one has guilt. Then one gives up. That's not the path. Mother says, offer it to the divine and uh, ask him for the light. Ask him to do it for you. That's why 
you know, path is long, but this is the way it can become easier and shorter. And the focus, both mother and Shivabindu say, should not be on just on rejection. Some people get locked in a battle. Especially, that's why there was a time when very young people were not um, accepted in the ashram. And the reason was because the vital has still to go through certain experiences. So many things will go away as we go through experience. After all, how long can the vital charm last? After a while, it begins to fade away. You see this experience of life, you go to a mall and, uh, you know, after some time, dresses, after some time, it stops, uh, you know, making sense. So many things will drop off simply because we have gone through it. That's why an ideal age for turning towards yoga is in the 30s. You have some experience of life and you know, you know, all these things. At the same time, you have a life before you when you can really uh, practice the higher, upgrade the system. Okay, so everything comes together. So rejection is not so much by personal effort, by, uh, by guilty kind of feeling. That is worse. Guilt is worse. Because it saps the energy, makes one depressed. It's a very common problem people experience. Especially when they tackle with deep-rooted, physically deep-rooted impulses like sexuality. They get into guilt. Whereas when you look at Mother and Shurabindu, they have given a whole path. Sayyama. Then, you know, it starts with bhoga. If you read the process of evolution, it's a wonderful essay in either volume 12 or 13 of Collected Works of Sri Aurobindo, the process of evolution. He speaks about the vrittis and tendencies, how they go through. So it starts with bhoga, not nigraha. We think rejection is nigraha, suppressing forcefully, repressing it. Then it goes through sayyama, regulation. Then it becomes weakened after a time and that's when one stroke and it is gone. That's when nigraha works. If you try nigraha in the very beginning, it doesn't work. So, And of course, you have to sublimate many of these energies through games, sports. That's how you see the ashram life has been organized like that. So, uh, Aloka, just sorry, one more follow-up question on this one. Um, it will be very quick. So, these uh, rejection are they part of the lower vital as well? Because, yes. like lust, so they are essentially that lower that part vital, of lower uh, mind. If you want to put it, it also applies not only to the shed repose as they are called, but also to one-sided viewpoints, opinions, rejection of the mind's ideas about what truth is, what God is, is even more difficult because we are so attached to our mental ideas, thoughts, and we think that is truth. So all these things, it's a whole lower consciousness, if you want to put it uh, in, in another terminology, which is all encompassing, is the whole old consciousness, old way of looking at things. All things which are born from an egocentric attitude towards life. Me and mine. So my idea. My idea is necessarily true. How? We have never challenged it. We were born with it. Somebody gave it to us. We need to go through that phase of challenging it and rediscovering uh, truth and then expressing it in terms of idea rather than simply, you know, uh, receiving it as a parcel, a, a gift <laughs> with many strings attached. Even an idea which is true may have been true at its time is may not be true in a later date even for our own journey. And we have to be ready to discard the past at each moment to move towards wider and wider horizons of truth. That is how the rishis went from one hill to another. So an idea may have been very important and helpful at a given point of time, which may become an obstacle. That's why the, um, the attachment should not be to ideas and conceptions, but to the divine. Not even to experiences of the divine, but to the divine, who alone will reveal to us what, how, where and whatever. But temporarily there will be scaffoldings and it's perfectly fine to move through that. There is a very nice um, question answer on that, please read it. It's the very first question uh, the passage mother takes up from the synthesis. It's there in volume 8. Okay, 1956 question and answers. It is about the integral conception of the divine. So it's amazing. It brings up some of these things. In the mother, he has just summarized it. He has not given the process of doing it. 
Okay, so maybe one more couple of quest- quick questions, then yeah. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah. So I just missed it. Like uh, while focusing in the heart and uh, connected to divine, uh, we should not uh, visualize a picture. You said image. Image. We should not. No, we can. So as I said, you can do with an image or without an image. What comes naturally to you. I have preferred an image till it merged into the presence. Now I don't need the image, but it's wonderful to start with an image. It's much more easier and convenient. So image of the Divine Mother, like in this yoga. But different yogas have different images. You know, somebody following the Vaishnava way will image Krishna. It doesn't matter. So image is image is what, you know, sometime back people were having a discussion on the forum about uh, idolaters. So I said, idol is not about physical idol. <laughs> Even the image is an idol. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but it is a help. You take the help. Okay, take the help. Till the image reveals its own truth. Mm-hmm. So we can do it with the mother and Shurabindo. We have their photographs, which is one step better than the artistic impression. So that's one, I must say it's something so much more helpful. Something the mother has put in her photographs, both of them have said so. So we can start by concentrating outside on the photographs till something of that image comes into a heart and then on that image we can concentrate. Image of the mother uh, and then till, you know, we go through the image into the presence. Mm-hmm. It's that famous example of Totapuri when... Shri Ramakrishna Paramans, he used to concentrate on Kali and he said, if you want the absolute truth, you need to take a sword and break the idol of Kali and he just couldn't, he said, this I cannot do. Till Kali herself gave him the sword and said, do it, then you will get my full truth. Mm -hmm. But this is a very, very tricky thing. It is the divine mother, the same mother who has incarnated individually. That is the mother whom we discover. Otherwise, people, oh, we don't need. You do it prematurely or do it uh, with an uh, unripe mind, then it'll be, oh, we don't need anything. World mother is there. She will take us to transformation. It's a very, very subtle. Uh, Shubhinder used the word asurik maya, which can intervene and say, well, we don't need. Uh, now, this is the same individual mother who has incarnated. And we concentrate on that. But it is only after a while that we discover who she is. It's a discovery of the mother, as you want to put it, if you want to put it that way. So you can use the image, okay? Coming back to the question. Perfectly fine. I said these are the two ways. From the image, you can go to the uh, formless state, the presence as it is called. It's very difficult to concentrate without an image in the beginning. Some people try to do it. It's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. I have another question. Uh, so, um, like I'm trying to practice, like not trying, but I aspire to uh, give unconditional love, but like I'm failing again and again. And uh, also one more thing, if I can unconditionally love everyone, like, like so in marriage, like considering the uh, materialistic things, like from my parents or like my uh, yeah, cousin's point of view I am ignoring so they are saying it's wrong so I am just confused about ignoring like family and the financial status but the person is very good uh, so like I'm, comp- I'm not list- I'm ignoring or like uh, I don't know like how to choose and like um, so two, two three things I hear yeah Dear sister, okay, <laughs> don't practice unconditional love till you have discovered it within, okay? It's not something which can be done mentally or intellectually. Mm. The urge is very beautiful. But first you have to discover that love within us which can love unconditionally. Mm. Actually only the divine can love unconditionally. That's why the first thrust should be, I'm not saying you can't do that way. You can take up any human being creature, even an idol outside and love unconditionally, pick up a piece of stone and love unconditionally and you will reach that principle of love. But it's much easier to do it with a piece of stone than with a human being. 
because with human beings there are many habitual associations so the the first the safer way is to love the divine and well love human beings without expectations that is much simpler and easier and that we can do only when we are beginning to receive our quota of love from the universal divine presence so whatever we need you know when we are hurt when we feel somebody should comfort us understand us all these people that you are mentioning in your life in everybody's life for all those things turn to the divine cry before her write a diary note then after some time all these people you will stop expecting anything from them of course they will not understand you okay they will not understand you don't even try to make them understand you because uh, there is a big gap you know you are walking on a different journey altogether there are people who say that those who try to climb mount everest are mad people fine they are mad people so what better one's own madness you know <laughs> they will say that it should give you strength the more you are misunderstood by people the more you must know you are on track okay so you should have a thumbs up you are on track and also one more thing so uh, like uh, uh, how can i get freed from ego and like anger and um, yes it's very that- for me to see my impurities and accept it and just waste my time in anger and ego like i don't don't focus on impurities defects difficulties everybody has them in plenty and abundance focus only on beauty and love and light of the divine when anger ego comes say to the anger and ego you monkey fellow again you have come to disturb me what do you do if a snake enters the room do you enter into a fight and a duel never do that just run, run out of that place see which is the hole which is open through which this snake is coming plug that hole maybe it's expectation because of which anger is coming plug that hole okay call for lord shiva who will manage the snake pick him up and put him around his neck so call the divine mother mother i don't want to be this fellow who gets angry okay so essentially turn all things toward the divine when you get angry turn it give it to the divine and say i don't want this to be me it's not me take it from me it's like a nightmare but don't focus on all this impurities and all see purity is a very big word focus only on the divine and finding the divine uh, many of these things will just drop away by the very fact see when there is a storm don't fight with the storm get inside the house where you are safe which means you must know how to apply the key when that storm comes which means you must have the key which means before the storm comes you must have applied the key several times on the lock you know how to turn it open and close the door that inner room of safety is the psychic being the key is aspiration apply it every day aspiration and concentration to find the psychic being let things come and go let the world storm and say 100 things let them praise criticize uh, all other things make this one single goal i must find my own true self okay and put all the energies in that direction many things will drop off automatically you won't even have to labor when you touch that core then you will be able to love unconditionally and in a true way until then there'll be only talk about unconditional love and it'll only bring more and more hurt because one is not able to do it because you know one needs to find that part okay so find that part inside make it the first important fundamental goal of yoga to find the psychic being and unite with it and the rest will follow okay Hello Dr there are two more questions I'll just read them out one of them is by Sandeep and he's asking alokta in times like covid where there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of lives and livelihood how to handle such situations in light of integral yoga yes can you share 
Give some examples of how Mother and Shrabindo guided in such circumstances. See, regarding uncertainty, I can only say that yesterday itself we had a little talk on that. I think it will get. It's in Hindi, so it will get posted on Aroma tomorrow uh, or on YouTube. And please access it. Well, uncertainty is the only truth of life. <laughs> the certainty that the mind gives is all false. So the virus has made us aware of a deep truth. So where is security and certainty? The only, only place where one can find security and certainty is in something that is stable and unchanging, immutable. That's what is called as Brahman, the divine, called by whatever name. Everywhere else, because nature is changing constantly, there will be uncertainty of one kind or the other. This is an extreme kind, but you know, uncertainty is the way of life. Sport with that uncertainty. Sport with danger and uh, you know, Shobindo's <laughs> famous, <laughs> be a hero warrior of misadventure. I have made me a friend. Why? Because this all uncertainties are rapid paths towards the towards a progress. I can say that. Know that there is a wisdom operating in life. Learn to trust that and surrender to that. That's the way of Mother and Shobindo. Trust in that wisdom, and whatever may happen, surrender oneself to the grace which knows much better. See, when we are in comfort zones, do we progress more then, or when we are out of a comfort zone? We know the answer. Humanity has been pushed out of its comfort zone, paradoxically pushed in. <laughs> the comfort zone was the malls and the cinemas and everywhere else. It's pushed in. Wonderful, grace. Okay, so let's uh, whatever be the uh, every moment should be a virgin moment, and live with that state uh, with complete trust and surrender to the grace. This is the way. If you want to ask me the way, complete trust and surrender in the grace. In fact, I don't know of any other logical way that human beings can have. Logical, I am saying. What is the other way? With the mind, mind doesn't know the next moment. So where is that part which will give us certainty? Science, it is changing its stances. Even if it finds the vaccine and everything else, after two years, what prevents another issue coming up? The only way one can find security and certainty is by discovering the divine presence within, which means to engage in yoga. I don't see any other way. Yeah. So the second question. So the second question, uh, maybe Manju, you would like to ask yourself. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I looked at uh, so I'm actually doing the project on transformation. So this is um, transformation, as I have understood, is, is actually a consequence. You know, you have to first of all hold divine love within yourself and practice it, and hold divine works and hold divine thoughts. And uh, yet, of course, these three together needs to be brought in as conscious integral yoga. They are not complete in themselves. Uh, and then uh, Arbindo goes on to say that you can then experience transformation or Purusha in three different levels again, saying Purusha, Brahman, and uh, in fact, the uh, Ishwara, as he calls it. Uh, but how do we consciously discern, are we really experiencing? So, so this uh, is one of the paths through the mind, intellectual mind. It's a very, very long path. But first, what is transformation? Transformation is the change of the human animal into the divine humanity. So what we have to leave out and what we have to take in, leave the animal out, bring in the divine and you have the divine humanity. So the first step to transformation is to find the divine. The divine presence within us, the psychic presence. Okay, this is the first step. Now when we find the psychic presence, it modifies nature. It orients it to the light and the right. It orients the thought towards the light, orients the heart towards the truth of our feelings, orients the life towards true motives and true goals, orients even the body towards the right impulses. Okay, so this is described at great length in various books. It uh, opens the heart to love, bhakti and surrender, etc. So first thing is find the psychic. Second is going beyond the mind. We cannot go as long as we are attached to all the opinions, ideas, viewpoints, etc. So we have to offer them to the Divine Mother with an aspiration for true knowledge to pour in. Make the mind wide and supple and slowly she will pour in the knowledge 
and the truth into the mind. And then the final is the supramental transformation. But in very simple terms, replace the ego with the divine. Means everything that turns around myself, including my transformation, must be out, out, out. Including that I have to become a transformed being, I'll become a supramental being, a superman, etc. Is still the ego playing with us. And replace it with the divine. So there is only one word we have to put in our vocabulary, it is the divine. And in the beginning we'll have our conceptions, doesn't matter. Eventually the divine will reveal himself and as he reveals himself, this is the first thing needful. Shurabindu says, rest will follow as a consequence. Several places Shurabindu has said, we cannot transform ourselves by our own effort. It is only by the mother's grace. You know that last passage in the mother. No human effort of tapasya. So, we know the mother, but we have to now consciously, we know the mother, I mean intellectually and little bit we have read. Now it must become a living presence within us. So, all things which we have turned and scattered into the world, we have to turn it towards the Divine Mother until she opens the doors to the influx of the forces, divine forces which will divinize our mind and life and body. So transformation means leading a divine life in a divine body. Right now we are leading a half animal, half human um, life in a uh, largely animal body. <laughs> okay, so it's a long process. Uh, maybe if there are more questions, please feel free to email I'll be very happy to respond. Okay? Uh, I'll have to cut down because I have to answer all the policemen on the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is fine, but just, yeah. Yeah? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, please feel free to correspond anytime. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Thank you, Alokta. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, thank you. Maybe we close with a moment of silence? Yes.